something to say. Hello everybody, it's Charlie. How have you been doing? Today I have nothing easy to say. And when I was coming up with ideas for episodes, and I would love to get your recommendations if there's anything that you want to hear me blather on about. But like most of the topics I've picked since the podcast has come back, this is a rather complex one, and it's more about how to talk about writing and how to talk about fiction because i would like to go into some of the shows and books and comics and stuff that i really really love in movies but i kind of have a lot of thoughts about how that is often done and a lot of the a lot of my problems with it arises from this false veneer of certainty and expertise that often clouds any discussion of media, be it books and their quality or how to actually write them or movies or TV shows or comics and their quality and whatnot. Because while, yes, some people have degrees in these things and They've spent a lot of time immersing themselves in theory, and theory is important, and theory tells us a lot. There really isn't a valid, constructive, or real way to differentiate between theory and opinion when discussing how to do something or why something is good or bad. And I think that's a problem that we don't discuss enough when we talk about reviews, when we talk about praise, when we talk about the things that we love or hate or wish could be done better, or when we share our opinions on how things could be written. And I don't know exactly how to get over that problem, because if you don't speak with a certain amount of certitude, then people will find it difficult to take you seriously in what you're saying. You have to be able to communicate your ideas in a way that shows that you yourself have some grounding in what you think it being true, being real to life, being related somehow to the way things are and the way things should be. The problem that we have is that that certitude often translates into sort of a blind orthodoxy that can take over everything. We discussed this a little bit in my episode about we titled We Need to Talk About Star Wars Fandom. Because I think a lot of what happened and what's been happening in Star Wars Fandom is related to that. As a huge Star Wars geek, I started watching the movies when I was very young, I remember actually waiting in line when I found out the first Timothy Zahn Thrawn book was going to come out. I was there in the Fredericktown Mall and Walden Books waiting for them to open it up and they had no idea why I was doing that. They thought I was weird. They thought I was a strange kid. And so I just kind of sat back in the back corner for a while and occasionally came back up and said, have you opened the box yet? 
have you opened the box yet? Have you opened the box yet? Because they didn't understand why anybody would be excited about it. So I say this as a way to proof text to qualify my own Star Wars fandom that I've been reading the expanded universe for most of my life. I have been a fan of the movies for most of my life. I have seen I believe every TV show and special that has ever come out for Star Wars, I bought the VHSs on numerous occasions because they would keep adding new special features to them, interviews and documentaries and whatnot. I bought the DVDs on multiple occasions for the same reason. Does that make me an expert on Star Wars? No more than any other fan. Yeah, I might know things because... I watched director's commentaries that aren't available anymore because they do change those from time to time for reasons beyond my understanding, especially now in a digital age where you could make all of those various features available and I don't understand why they don't. Like, I honestly want to open up my Star Wars digital copy and find hundreds of hours of special features in there because I know that they exist, because if I go through the old VHSs that I had and the old DVDs that I had, there are documentaries and commentary tracks and all kinds of things that aren't available there now. And I think that they should be. But that knowledge does not have anything really to do with the quality of my review. Now, I know what you're thinking. But you have to know the subject matter in, other, in order to talk about it. Yes, 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 yes. I'm not saying that you should be completely ignorant about everything that you're looking into or talking about or interested in. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I'm not saying that some kind of blessed ignorant state would actually improve the quality of a review or a comment or a theory, especially not a theory. That's not what I'm trying to say. My point is that having that expertise and being able to talk about various arcane elements from the old extended universe that's now dubbed Legends, while that may make me an expert, a trivia master, in the subject of Star Wars, it does not make my theories or my ideas more correct. And I think that's a problem that all manner of criticism has now and theorizing has because i had my own theories about what was going to happen in the last jedi and i was right about some of it i was wrong about other bits of it but i was willing to go along for the ride because i understood a very important thing about liking somebody else's franchise it's not mine they can do whatever they want and the fact that they were able to surprise me excited me. And I'm not going to go into why I liked Star Wars The Last Jedi again, but if you want, I will definitely do many more episodes on that topic. What I saw in a lot of the reaction to it was I invested all of this time in theorizing about this, that, and the other, and you invalidated my time by telling the story that you wanted to tell, by telling the story that you thought should be the next one in the series. And because I have all of this expansive knowledge of the Star Wars universe, and I employed all of this time into theorizing what would happen in the next episode, 
I am owed payoffs to my theories rather than the story that you chose to make. This is problematic. And this is problematic, especially when we go into story theory, when we start talking about how stories should be written and how stories should be told. For someone like me, who spent years trying to figure out how to write stories that I wanted to tell, because the models that were always presented to me didn't actually make sense in the way that I wanted to tell a story, I spent years reinventing a wheel that had already been invented in ancient China. Well, not ancient China, in the 15th century in China, and imported into Japan and Korea. And Keisho Tenketsu is the method that I eventually discovered independently on how to tell a story. I spent years, literally years, hammering out and working on various stories until I figured out a way that I could tell a story that I liked, that I loved. And I've written two books in that for in that method. I don't even know what to call it. In that using that theory of story. And I'm working on more now. And then I discovered that somebody else had already encountered it. Now, my hard-earned <laughs> time going back through my own stories and working and working and working until I hammered out something that resembled um, Kisho Tenketsu, that does not give me more authority on the subject. It does on my method because it's my method. It's something that I came up with. But when I actually discovered this other version of the, of the method, I don't know what to call it. It's not really a formula. It's a way to tell a story. When I, when I discovered the, the more canonical real version it actually put words to ideas that I had that were relatively obtuse and hard for me to even contemplate on my own. So am I allowed to talk about it? And I actually spend a lot of time thinking about that because it's a way of telling story that if you're a fan of anime or manga or really any story deriving from China, Japan, or Korea, you're more than likely to see it as the foundational elements that were went into telling that story rather than the three-act structure that you would see in, you know, Aristotle that has informed Western storytelling so much. They have much, much, the characteristics of their four-part story tends to explain some of the things that from a Western analytical eye makes their story structure seem odd or different from ours, because it is different from ours. But I am not an expert in it by any stretch of the imagination. It's something that, like I said, I spent time constructing something on my own that roughly looks like it, and when I actually saw what, you know, Ke um, Keisho Tenketsu actually looked like, I went, yes, that's it. That's what I was trying to do all along. And it gave me the vocabulary and it gave me tools. But most of those tools are in Japanese. And my Japanese right now is still not very good. I'm trying. And, oh, arigato koisaimasu. Oh, so many thank yous to the people at Duolingo that are helping me with my Japanese, but my Japanese is not very good. So it's not, and I can't find a lot in English 
that explains this method of writing. So it's hard for me to think of myself as an expert. But it's something that has really informed my writing and made me feel much more comfortable telling the stories that I want to tell. And I'm probably not alone in that. There are other people who are in love with this style of f fiction and don't know that it actually follows a different format, that it follows a different methodology than the Western fiction that they are reading dozens of books to learn how to do. So there's part of me that wants to do an entire episode on Keisho Tenketsu and maybe even write some blog posts about it and maybe even build up part of the website about it because I think it's very important and there needs to be some English language resources to help people like me who are trying to do this learn about it. But we have developed a culture that expects expertise. I don't know what expertise in this would look like. I'm not an expert in the Aristotelian method of storytelling with your three-act structure and everything else. I have studied it a lot. I have employed it in several books and quite a few short stories. But does that make me an expert? And is expertise actually what we're looking for? See, in theorizing about the stories that we love or in contemplating how to write our own stories, I think the thing that I want to see more than anything else is excitement and interest in the subject. One of my favorite writing channels that I love to watch and I love when he actually does episodes about writing or world building is, well, two of them actually, is Hello Future Me on YouTube. If you're not watching them, definitely watch them. And Artifexian. Artifexian is interested in world building simply for the sake of world building. Though I have to say his calendar system really saved me when I was struggling making a unique calendar for my own world. <laughs> and I thank him a lot for that. But the thing that I enjoy most about them is while they may or may not be actual experts on their topic field, they are passionate about it. And their videos are as much themselves collating and contemplating the things that they love and how to make them happen in their own fiction and or worlds. Their entreaties to the audience to comment and build something. See, they're building communities of curiosity, and this is something that I think that we have lost. See, I may be an old anarchist at heart, but I don't believe that authority is something that we should really strive for, and I don't believe that it is something that we should seek to follow. What makes for a really great moment of learning for everyone involved is when everybody approaches it from the point of view of, I know a little bit about this. Let me share what I know. What do you know? Let's share, compile our data, compile our information, and make something great together. Let's discuss this. And it's in those discussions that we actually find the heart of what we're searching for in the first place. Isn't curiosity so much more important than authority? It, to me, is. But so many today, when you're reading any advice about how to get started talking about things, they always talk about making sure that you are establishing yourself as an authority on the field. Well, an authority doesn't say, this is what I've been able to find so far. If you know more, please share. Because that degrades their authority. But that actually is what we need. We need people going, hmm, 
this looks like what might be true about this. Does anybody have anything to share? Can we make this better? And through that community, through that act of sharing, actually improving the knowledge base for everyone. And what really bothers me about this idea and what has really caused me to struggle with how to do these podcasts and how to do things on the blog and build things for the website is that I am fairly anti-authoritarian, that I don't think of myself as an authority on anything. I have interests, I have ideas, and I may have some expertise that I've garnered from studying various topics for the majority of my life and some very recently. But I think they're interesting and things that should be shared and talked about. That passion that I see in Hello Future Me, whether it's when he's talking about Lord of the Rings or Avatar The Last Airbender and getting into some of the amazing world building things that he talks about there, his world building on magic systems where he talks about Avatar is one of the best videos that he's ever done on his channel. Is he right? I don't know. I don't know that he knows. But it's not about authority. It's about that, that idea, those ideas that he put forward in there is actually an amalgamation of his own research and research he found from others that he poses together as, hmm, I was curious about how this would apply to things that I love and how it might actually affect my own writing. And through that curiosity, he created something amazing and shared it with others. Now, he does deliver his videos with a rather authoritative voice, which hmm, may just be me reading into things because of his... I Please don't take offense at this, but I believe he's from New Zealand. Um, accent. I've heard him comment about, you know, the cost of shipping things to New Zealand. But, you know, as an American, certain accents do sound more authoritative than others to us, and I don't know why. It's probably some kind of genetic heritage. And I think that that is what we should be striving for more than anything else. Building those communities around curiosity, be it theorizing what's going to be in the next Star Wars movie to figuring out what's going to happen in the next book, in the series that we're currently reading, or whatever it may be. Because that curiosity is what keeps us alive and moving and growing and developing. Once you become certain about something, once you think you know what a thing is, it is dead to you. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because they spend so much of their time striving for expertise on a subject. I am a person with a very sincerely held spiritual belief system and am quite active in my own religious tradition. The problem is I've spent so much time reading through theological texts and actually studying these matters that I at least know how my tradition speaks about them with a great deal of certainty. Not necessarily that those beliefs are correct or right, but that this is in fact the way the tradition speaks about them. That certainty tends to dull my experience of those ideas and hampers my participation within the service. And I find that true more and more and more when it comes to media. The problem with movies like the Independence Day Resurgence is that it was the movie I thought that they were going to make. It didn't surprise me at all. I mean, I didn't have a lot of 
ideas for what you could do for a sequel to that, but okay, so humans have all of this alien tech laying around, so they're going to reverse engineer it, and they're going to have their own kind of alien-ish tech that they have in here, and the aliens are probably going to try to invade again, and we're going to do what they did in Aliens and get a bigger version of the alien because that seems to be what you do in sequels. And unfortunately, and I'm sorry if that's a spoiler for anybody, that very vague concept of what might be in the next Independence Day movie was in fact what that movie turned out to be, for better or for worse. And as a fan of the original, I think it's for worse. I think they could have made a much better film than they actually ended up making. And that's the problem. That's why it felt like such a letdown. Because we wanted it to be great. We wanted it to be something that grew and expanded and changed our idea of the world. That's why Aliens is the best movie in that franchise. Because the first one introduced us to the Xenomorphs. The second one showed us them from a completely different light. We, they showed us their ecosystem, how they actually grow, how they develop, how they organize themselves. It expanded our understanding of them, and in some ways, at least for me, made me slightly sympathetic for the mother. I can understand why the queen alien goes after Ripley the way that she does. Ripley killed her children right in front of her. That's rage-inducing. That doesn't make me root for the xenomorphs by any means, but it turned them into a slightly sympathetic creature in the story, which is really hard to do in a monster movie, and a huge leap forward for the series, where in the first one, the xenomorph was just a monster running around the Nostromo, killing them. That's a huge change. And because of that change in my perspective, where I could see more about what the Xenomorphs were, which of course is something that got lost in the following movies, because they went, well, I guess we just have to add a new kind of Xenomorph in here, and of course make a lot of jump scares, because that's what people like. No, that's not what people like. That's not what people wanted, and that's why Alien 3 is crap, and Alien 4 is kind of interesting in a sort of way and alien covenant because i'm skipping prometheus because you know what you did <laughs> but that's why alien covenant just doesn't work at all it's essentially the first movie it's a reboot of the first movie except for it takes elements of the first movie and the second movie and for some reason brings david back because they forgot to ignore prometheus because they should have. They should have just pretended that that was a sidetrack. But yeah. That's what made it interesting. That's what made it develop. That's what made it special. And that's why Aliens is such a powerful movie. It also shows us more about Ripley. Ripley, yes, she's still that badass woman that we saw in the first movie. But we get to see her with Newt. And think about her and her daughter. That she's kind of lost to time because of the travel she's been doing and how long she was in fro frozen in the bed we get to see the motherly side of her the softer side of her which humanizes ripley and shows us even more about her see aliens deepened the franchise and showed us more about every aspect of it we learned more about Waylon yutani we learned more about ripley we learned more about the xenomorphs in their society and it deepened 
all of that. It built off what we knew and expanded things. Prometheus and Alien Covenant didn't. They tacked on elements from a story that honestly did not have to be related at all to the Alien universe, and it didn't really quite feel right. Because Alien Covenant tends to try to say that David is the one who created the Xenomorphs, which makes absolutely no sense because in Prometheus we actually see the Xenomorphs and a Xenomorph Queen in the hieroglyphs on the wall in the egg chamber. So they existed elsewhere before him. So it really makes no sense within the story or within the setting. And because they didn't use basic curiosity, which of course is the drug that pulls us through both of the original Alien movies, because we want to know what's around that next corner. Please don't be the alien. Please don't be the alien. Oh my goodness, it's the alien. Jump scare. That interest pulls us through. Because curiosity, whether it be in our writing, in our talking about writing, or in the projects that we love, be they film, television, or books, that curiosity is what moves us forward and is the most important thing that those stories can have. We're currently reading, reading Dauntless right now, which if you haven't read it and you're open to the idea of reading a story with a transgendered superhero as its main character, and let's be honest, you should be, because it's amazing. The book is by April Daniels and is one of the most amazing films, I'm sorry, one of the most amazing books that I've read in a very long time, and I actually was spent some time last night thinking about what it would be like as a film and how hard it would be to cast Danny. But that's because my curiosity got the better of me and I got a little crazy about the whole thing. So that's what I'm going to be trying to do with this podcast and with my work going forward. I'm really curious what you think about this. Please let me know either in commenting on this video if you're on YouTube, because I am posting these to YouTube, or if you are listening to the podcast, hit me up on social media or go to projectshadow.com and let me know what you, your ideas and opinions are. Because I think curiosity is actually what we should be striving for rather than some hollow veneer of expertise that makes us feel like we are so great and you'd really need to listen to us. Because that's just boring, you know? like Prometheus. <laughs> Have the fun, and I will talk to you later. Bye.